Well, the rule is if I have to play guitar, someone else has to preach. So who's up? <laughs> Nobody's up. All right. Well, thanks for being here today. It's good to see all of you. And uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 is our main text. We'll back up and look at verse 5, or some verses in chapter 5 here in just a minute. <clears throat> Listen, I want to talk about some very practical things in the Christian life today. Just some personal and pra- practical aspects of Christian living you know, sometimes uh, I'm probably just as guilty of, of this as other uh, preachers and pastors, sometimes talking about things that maybe folks don't even have a clue of what you're talking about, and we get so far above everyday life that people just tune you out. And uh, what we're looking at today, I think it's very practical. It's, it's just, uh, it's the Christian life. It's the Christian life. It's things for each one of us who are followers of Christ I know that uh, at times maybe we just boil down the Christian life to listening to sermons showing up at at certain meeting times, and uh, people get bored. I hate to say it, people get bored. I heard even this week uh, someone made a little comment about a boring preacher. I'm sure it wasn't me, Daryl, but I don't know. Uh, uh, You know, if if, if you come to this passage in Galatians chapter 6 and and try to practice it, I, I can tell you, you will never get bored with Christianity. And, um, you know, a little background on the book of Galatians, uh, the church there in this region called Galatia. If you read through the the, uh, chapters leading up to where we're going to be today, you get the distinct impression. It's very clear that they were off track on some things. I mean, Paul uses very strong language about what they were doing uh, wrong. And, And here's the thing. You can kind of boil it all down and summarize it this way. They they had become arrogant and self-righteous. They had lost sight of the grace of God in their lives and also the grace of God in other people's lives. They'd become totally self-consumed, self-centered. They were placing their focus on trying to adhere to all of the things in the Old Testament law. Specifically, circumcision became for them literally a mark of their righteousness. And Paul is, is writing to them and helping them, I think, regain sight of what New New Testament Christianity really is, about the grace of Jesus Christ. Because you see in chapter 5, verse 4, they had lost sight. They're in danger of falling from grace. Now, people use that phrase, falling from grace, talking about losing your salvation sometimes. I don't think that's what it means. Uh, Right here, he's talking about, you know, you're, you're, you're drifting away from this central part of the gospel, namely... That we are saved by the grace of God. None of us deserve it. We cannot earn it. Jesus has earned it for us. We just lay hold of it by faith. All right? And so once you get a hold of that, the grace of Christ is what sets me free. And, And we're free. He talks about don't go back into the slavery of the Old Testament law. It's something that even the the strictest of Jews could never accomplish. Why are you putting on a yoke of slavery? You're free in Christ. Now, you're not free to do anything you want. I mean, it's not a, a book about we're free to do any kind of sin and just not worry about it. But he talks about this freedom that we have in Christ. You're not free to do the things of the flesh. You are freed from the flesh to live a life of love. You're free to love one another. And here's what he teaches us. Listen, that second song that we sang, yet not I, but Christ through me or in me. 
we have this great truth that we're saved by the grace of God and we are indwelled as Christians with the Holy Spirit of God who will empower us and do amazing things in our life if we just learn to walk by the Spirit. If we learn to yield to the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit of God that indwells us, you will bear the good fruit that God intends. That is the background leading up to where we're going to be today. And I want to back up and start at Galatians 5, verse 25, and we're going to read through uh, chapter 6, verse 10. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives, deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of the faith. What life in the Spirit as a Christian looks like. Here's a snapshot. Here's a portrait. It doesn't say everything, but it says a lot about what life in the Spirit among our brothers and sisters in Christ should look like. The first thing that you'll note is he instructs Christians to help bear one another's burdens. Help bear one another's burdens, especially, primarily, I think we could say, spiritual burdens. Help bear one another's burdens. I don't know if I ever told, I know I've told some of y'all about this. One Sunday night, uh, I preached on this passage, Galatians chapter 6, about bearing one another's burdens. Now, it just so happened that I had about a two-ton wood stove in the back of my truck that I needed help getting into my house. And I preached about bear one another's burdens. Now, this was not contrived, you know, but I said, you know, a great application for you folks in church would be to come to my house after church and help me get my wood stove into my house. You'll not soon forget. You'll remember, oh, for a long time, what it means to be a Christian brother, that is to bear one another's burdens. I have to confess, that probably looked pretty bad to church members. One guy particularly for years reminded me of using the Word of God for my own uh, things. I'm telling you, it really was not planned out. It just so happened. I thought it was a great application. I'm probably not the best example. Jesus is the best example. And I think when you read this and, and you see what Paul is laying out here by the Spirit, bear one another's burdens. Jesus Christ, that's what he did for us. Listen, folks, he went. He lived the perfect life that we were meant to live, though none of us do. So he perfectly fulfilled the law of God. So when Christ died, in essence, and we're in him, we died to the law. But anyway, he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. He pays the penalty 
The wrath of God was poured out on him on that cross. And if you will today, you can just picture Jesus, arms outstretched, the full weight of his own body held in by maybe three nails on that wooden tree, but not just the weight of his own body, the weight of the sins of the world and God's wrath and anger on sin, his righteous indignation poured out on Jesus such that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt as though God had turned his back. And in a way, I think what he was feeling there was the wrath of God being poured out. Jesus is the greatest example of what this looks like, of this principle, of this reality of a person who bears another's burdens, specifically spiritual burdens. Psalm 68, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens. Jesus didn't just once bear our burdens. It says that the Lord every day bears the burdens of his people. He's willing to bear our burdens. He does that. And as followers of Christ, he calls us into that same road to be burden bearers. You know, the Galatians were so hung up in their law keeping. And what actually happened is this religion of theirs became too self-focused. It was all about me and what I have attained. And y'all know pride is a devious thing. And it crept into their lives and they became spiritually proud such that they would look at others and say, well, look, there's a person who hasn't attained to the level I, I have. They begin to look down and to condemn others. So rather than being people that the grace of God flowed through, instead, spiritual pride welled up in them. And not only did they not bear one another's burdens, they made the burdens heavier, much like the Pharisees that Jesus encountered. They were so wrapped up in fulfilling the Old Testament law. And here's what this passage says to me, and I think it's pretty clear. Hey, the law that you need to worry about fulfilling as a Christian is the law of Christ. It's the law of Christ. It's the way of Christ. It is loving God and loving other people. That sums up the entire Old Testament law, but they were straining at gnats. They had... They were paying attention to all of the letters and the jots and the tittles and the text and had missed the very spirit of the law, which is to love God and love people. He says, if you want to fulfill the law, fulfill the law of Christ, which is to be a burden bearer, to help lift other people up spiritually, not tear them down. Come alongside and encourage rather than tear down. And he says here, he says, you know, part of this loving your neighbor, part of this burden bearing is to look and to see when people are down they're in spiritual danger and to be willing to do something to help someone who is caught in sin did you notice that says there there help your brother restore seek to restore if you're so spiritual and if you are indeed spiritual help restore people instead of tearing them down and stepping on their head and doing damage to them and to their very soul come up to them and help lift them up if you're spiritual. And do so with a spirit of gentleness. Come alongside. Don't ostracize. You know, when we see someone caught in sin, and this is a brother can be caught in sin. That's part of what the church is for. And when I, it says caught in sin, I don't think it means like in the Gospels where 
the religious leaders bring this woman who was caught in sin in the very act of adultery and bring her before Jesus. Not, aha, you're caught. The picture is caught like in a snare, in a trap, overtaken by sin. If you see your brother overtaken by sin, come alongside to restore. Now listen to me. The church in modern America has lost total sight of this. And I, I will tell you, it's very difficult to do this because we have kind of fallen prey to this idea that what we need to do is to have, um, you know, put on a, a show or, or have the, the good programs and do everything in our power to lure people in, bring them in, and make them feel good and never say anything or do anything that might offend somebody. And there are some good impulses in that. Okay, don't get me wrong. But what happens is we get so sucked into that that the, the church is this place that, man, we dare not offend anybody. And we don't want to needlessly offend people, do we? But then, you, you know, here we are. We said, well, well, you know, we're thinking about a building project. We sure don't want to say anything that might hurt someone's feelings. And, and we might know that someone is caught ensnared, trapped in sin. But we can't say anything because it might offend them. It might run them off. And I tell you, there is a way that we can say things to people that will indeed run them off. We can be arrogant and careless. He says, do it in a spirit of gentleness and make sure that you're not caught in the same sin. I think about the words of Jesus, right? Before you worry about the speck in someone else's eye, make sure that you don't have a two-by-four sticking through your head. So the first and foremost is you need to check yourself. He talks about this here. But listen, that does not preclude saying things to other people. And I'm not going to go on a rant on this deal or anything. Because, number one, I don't have anybody in mind. Nobody's in the crosshairs. Y'all breathe, okay? I've just seen some things and heard some things. And I've been through some things personally as a pastor. And uh, I would just say this. Here, here's all I'm getting at with this. The Bible teaches it. That we're supposed to restore people who are caught in spiritual hard places. But to do it gently. But here's what I would say to you, you all. Number one, this isn't just the pastor's job. This, this is for everybody. In fact... When it gets to the point a pastor does it, sometimes people feel like they've been um, targeted or they're being bullied or whatever, spiritually bullied. And, and let me just say, if I ever say anything to any of you all, um, you know, personally, about something like this, a spiritual correction, you can, you can trust, number one, I've prayed about it. Number two, it's not because I've heard some kind of gossip. And number three, it's because I love you. And it's part of the job. Um, but the bigger thing I just want to say to the church is that this should be normal Christianity. That we care enough about one another to tell someone when they're in spiritual danger, right? Amen? Let, let me ask you this. Let's put it this way. If you, you may not think you are, but if you are literally lost and on your way to an eternal torment and hell. Wouldn't you want someone to say something in such a way that it woke you up? And, and, and let me just say this. 
This is about Christians, not non-Christians. This is about Christians who get caught in sin. Pastors, leaders can get caught in this. Anybody. That's why we need the church. We need the church. We need people who have our back. Who have our back. Not who talk behind our back. But who love us enough to come and tap us on the shoulder. And maybe, maybe even, you know, get in our face a little bit. Get in the middle of our junk. But we need to do it with gentleness. And I'll tell you, um, we can do the right thing in the wrong way and do a lot of spiritual damage. And that's part of the warning here is make sure you do this with gentleness. So we don't want to rush headlong. We don't want to speak flippantly. But all of this is under this heading of bearing one another's burdens. You know, just this last week, I think it was Friday, uh, some of us got the text, and you all probably heard within a couple of hours uh, that Jason Carr, one of the ones that helps lead our, our worship team, uh, had a, a, a massive heart problem and ended up airlifted uh, to uh, UAMS. And uh, I tell you, it looked bad. It looked bad. Everything we were hearing seemed very bad. And, and uh, we were getting reports from Janet and Jerry and, and Laura. And the church, I know, rose up and prayed. And Jerry did ask me to say to the church today, thank you. Thank you for bearing the burden the health burden, and the other emotional burdens of that family. And here's what Jerry said to me on the phone last night. We're seeing miracles take place. Power of prayer. God calls the church to pray. And God answers the prayers of his people. Not always exactly how we would think. But what Jerry said was, we're seeing things happen. Thank you, church, on behalf of that family for being burden bearers burden bearers. That's what it's all about. That's, what, that's part of loving people. But not just in prayer, though prayer is, I think, one of the first and most powerful and mighty things we can do, but also, how about this one? Personal presence. Now, one of the bad things right now, like in the hospitals, one or two people a day can go. And what I saw Janet and Jerry and their crew doing say, we know we can't go in the hospital room, but we're going to go sit in our car in a parking lot to be there when Laura can come out and we can hug her and hear from her and things like that, your personal presence in people's lives at moments where they are vulnerable, they are in danger, they are weak, they need someone, personal presence. That's part of burden bearing. You know, we don't always have to have the right words. In fact, I think a lot of times we won't. One of the best things we can do is measure our words very carefully when people are in a bad situation. Just being there sometimes, just showing up. Sometimes a text message, that's probably not a great uh, substitute for personal presence, but it's a start. It's, it's better than not. It's better than not. I know I spent a little bit of time in the hospital this last summer and just the text from all the church members and friends. I tell you, y'all wore me flat out. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that, that means a lot. That means a lot. So bear one another's burdens, but beware of doing it with arrogance and, and, and staying aloof. It is so easy to keep people at arm's distance. Staying aloof. That is just about as bad as the arrogance. Just, just kind of, I'll just stay back. I'm not going to get in the middle of your stuff. In the church, we've got to know people. We need to be together. 
We need to go to small groups together. We need to speak up in Sunday school. When prayer time comes, someone says, anybody got a prayer request today? And you know you've got one. And it's just pierced your heart. And what do you do? You don't say anything. I tell you, I do that. (laughs) I do that sometimes. I think, well, I'm supposed to be a pastor. You know, I'm supposed to be bearing other people's burdens. But what I found is pastors need the church. Deacons, Sunday school teachers. We have to not stand aloof from people. But let people into your life and get into other people's lives. That's the only way you can be a burden bearer. The second thing that's in this passage is practice self-assessment. Rather than making prideful comparisons, practice self-assessment instead of making prideful comparisons. So here's what they were doing in Galatia. You know, I want to check my spiritual temperature. I want to know how I'm doing spiritually. And the way they were doing it was by comparing, you know, their grading on the curve. They're comparing themselves to other people. And it caused them to be puffed up. They were a little further along. Man, that's a bad thing. That is a bad thing. I love what D.A. Carson says about this passage. She said, we should only be concerned about the weaknesses of others for the purposes of compassion, not for comparison." So it's really easy to be concerned about people and that somehow morphs into, I'm glad I'm not like that guy, right? Wasn't that a Pharisee? Was it a Pharisee that prayed that way? God puffed out his chest. I'm glad I'm not like that dude. Thank you for making me not like that guy. And then this guy, man, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So Paul says, if you want to assess yourself, don't do it by way of comparison to other people. What you ought to do is go to God's standard and God's calling in your life. Bring yourself before the Lord. Ask the Lord to evaluate you, show you how you're doing. All right? Not for the purposes of bragging. You shouldn't go around boasting about your spiritual attainments. Go to God and ask Him how you're doing. So we're talking about practical Christian living. Get involved in other people's lives so that you can bear one another's burdens. Do allow the Lord to assess you. Bring your own self before the Lord and see how you're doing. Some areas that you need to grow. The Lord will show you. The Spirit will show you areas in your life that you need to work on. I think the Spirit commends us about certain things. You know, I think about uh, Jesus' baptism. Here's the Father. See this guy right here? That's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Bring yourself before the Lord. Allow the Lord to evaluate you, all right, rather than making prideful comparisons with other people. Third thing in this passage, real quick, I'm going to try to rip through five of these. I'm prone to just quit at any time because my voice is failing me, okay? So the next thing is uh, personally investing in the things of the Spirit. He talks about whatsoever you sow, that you shall reap. We're thinking about practical Christian living. What are you investing in? It's a little awkward of a passage. I was going to skip these verses because here I am, a preacher standing up, and what it appears to me Paul's doing is says, y'all need to pay your teachers. You need to to pay the pastors, pay the teachers. He might have been doing a little fundraising there himself. Okay, he's saying, you know, you need to sow, you need need to give to those. If you're benefiting spiritually from these people, you need to pay them. All right? You know, the good thing is we're not going to take up a love offering for me today or for John. I think the principle here is this. You should be investing yourself, and part of that is your finances, in the things of the Lord. 
in the work of the local church, in the mission field, in propagating the gospel. Because the principle is whatever you're sowing, that's what you're going to reap. If you're sowing and giving yourself, and all not just your money, but certainly your money, your time, and your best efforts, whatever you are sowing and sowing to, that's what you're going to get back. So if you're sowing to fleshly things, things that don't make an eternal difference, that's what you're going to start reaping in your life. But if you sow to eternal things and the things of the Spirit, he says, that's what you're going to get back. You all know I have, a, I have a couple of gardens, and we lay this black plastic out to keep weeds down. Well, some deer had trekked across my okra row, and they punched holes in my plastic where I had not punched holes. So we're going down through the little holes in the plastic, and I'm picking the crabgrass, and I'm checking and thinning the little okra plants, and right over here are those deer tracks. And I felt like Elmer Fudd, you know, kill the web. I get, I get really upset. And, and, and deer, and I said, I'm going to sick my son. I can't wait till deer season. And anyway, so there's these little holes in places I didn't put them. And I've been, I was, you know, brewing on this kind of thing. And I was thinking about little crabgrass seedlings were coming up in those holes. Now, normally, I just let it go. And I said, well, that's just part of the process. Instead, what I did, I said, that, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So I started plucking crabgrass out of those holes I didn't put you know what I started sowing it wasn't crabgrass I started putting more okra seed in I can, I'm cha-ching you know and we're cashing in on okra because whatever you're growing and sowing that's what you're going to be reaping I really have not found a great market for crabgrass yet there probably is one but I thought I'm going to sow something valuable in those holes and I would just ask you what are you sowing to Valuable things are things that really are of no eternal value. So personally invest. You know, you want to you see your spiritual walk take a dramatic uptick? Start giving yourself to the things of the Spirit. To ministries, and not just your money. We're not just talking about money. But I tell you, there's great good in that. Invest personally in the things of the spirit now i wanted to get by that without y'all thinking i was trying to milk y'all for some money but that's that's biblical all right next thing don't get down and don't give up i feel a little bit like joel osteen today i I shouldn't this is this the bible this is not me don't get down and don't give up look what he says verse nine let's not lose heart in doing good for in due time, we'll reap if we do not grow weary. You get the impression that things were a little bit difficult in the church at Galatia. There was some friction. Some people were probably mad at one another. There was a lot of spiritual pride running rampant there. And probably, I'll, I'll tell you what happens when spiritual pride runs amok. People who are sensitive of conscience and spirit, or maybe they're new believers or not believers at all, you know what they say? I want no part of that. It's very possible people were leaving in mass. I don't know. But Paul encourages them by the Spirit. Don't give up. Hey, don't get discouraged. Things, and, and I had a couple of people this week that were great encouragers to me. Just saying, man, sometimes things get hard and when, when you're trying to do the Lord's work, you know, there's someone else that's going to be at work. The devil works overtime when the church is doing what the church needs to do. Paul does that same thing here. He says, don't give up. Don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Don't let discouragement get the best of you. 
I had a friend that spent his entire Christian counseling practice up till just a few years before he retired. I went on a couple of mission trips with him. And uh, here's what this guy told me. He said, let me tell you about my Christian counseling practice. He said, I was a total failure. I said, oh, now, Jim, total failure. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, honestly, of all the people I saw year after year, he said, I'm not sure I saw anybody make any progress until. He said, I was basically doing things the world's way and just slapping a Christian label on it. He said, you know what I discovered? The power of prayer and giving our burdens to the Lord. And he said, it totally revolutionized my practice. And he wrote a book about it, and it's called Trading Pain for Peace. And it's a simple prayer-based counseling method that basically takes the counselor out of the driver's seat in terms of being the person that's going to solve the problems, and it connects people with the Lord and helps people to give their burdens to the Lord. And I thought about that guy. What if he had given up after five years? After 10 years of going, nobody's, I'm seeing no results that are positive whatsoever. He rocked on for 30 years before God did this miraculous thing, showed him how to help people, and people all over the world, literally, he traveled around and taught pastors how to use this method of trading their pain for peace. Don't give up. Keep sowing. Don't let discouragement stop you from doing what the Lord has called you to do. That's a great encouragement for all of us. The modern mission movement. The father of the modern mission movement is a guy named William Carey who basically sold everything, cashed in chips, and went to India to live among the heathen and to be, he was a Bible translator. William Carey lived in India for seven years before he saw one Christian convert. Seven years of teaching and preaching and hardship and faithfulness, and he did not give up, all right? So don't get down, don't give up. Last thing, do good when the opportunity arises. That's what he says, do good, especially for the household of faith. It's, man, it's just good to do good, to do good things. Sometimes in the church, some churches are really good at doing good for the outside, but really never do any uplifting and good things for those within the church. And then some churches seem to be the opposite. They do really good within the walls, but they don't reach out. He says, do good for everyone, every opportunity that you get. Let me challenge you this week. I guarantee you, I, I would almost guarantee you, I don't want to be a false prophet here though, I would almost guarantee you that by the time this day is over, you will have an opportunity to do some good for somebody. You know what you ought to do? You ought to have a committee meeting about it. You ought to phone 10 friends and survey them whether you should do good. No, what you ought to do, send up a prayer, Lord, is this something that you put in my path? you'll probably get the, uh-huh, do good. I'm not even sure you have to pray about it because you have a command here, do good out in the world. Hey, 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 but also for the people within the household of God. We're going to do an interesting little thing next week out at the Valley Park, not the church park out here, but is that a, is that a city park, community park? What's the name of it? It's just the Valley Springs Park, just down the road, 5.30 Sunday night, 
We're going to cook hot dogs, Rick. Get your hot dog cooker fired up, right? We're going to cook hot dogs. We're going to bring the cornhole boards. We're going to have games. If you've got a guitar or a stringed instrument, uh, no tubas or trombones, please. But if you've got, unless you want to, you can. We're just going to have a little picking and grinning around under the shade trees. We're going to have homemade ice cream. Lord willing and y'all are willing, we're going to have ice cream. You can bring stuff. And we want to invite our community. So this is Galatians chapter 6. We're just going to do good. Now, I'm not sure how much good it's going to do me to eat all the ice cream that I'm going to eat. Okay? But there's going to be some other good that happens there. Fellowship. Encourage one another. But also... Just trying to do good right here in our community. There's little cards. I think John showed them to you. They're blue and and yellow. Uh, It's just a little invite card. And I told them Wednesday night, hey, don't think about the millions that you can invite. Think about the one. Think about the one or two or the family or the neighbor. Or maybe you meet a stranger down here at the Valero. Or, hey, I guess we'll even take people from Harrison, right? Even Searcy Countyans could come. Just invite somebody. Take that card and say, hey, put this on your fridge. Show up. Show up. And we're going to have hot dogs. We're going to have ice cream. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have a special presentation, a Bible presentation. It's not a normal Bible lesson. You're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's just putting feet to this kind of thing. And do good. Let's do something fun. Stand up. I'm done. I guess I'm done, basically. All right, now I want y'all to do, I want y'all to take a 360 panorama. This is going to require y'all to move. I want you to look around. Nate, get a look up. I want you to find somebody. Lay, lay eyes on somebody that you could do good for. Look, look past your own pew. All right? I want, I want you, don't, don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. All right. Does everybody see somebody? All right. See someone, pick one person out in this room to do good for. You don't have to spend money, though I'm sure cash is always appreciated. (laughs) Could be a kind word. I have one cough drop left. Someone is going to be the recipient of my last cough drop. Hey, listen, small things. Small things are just fine. Again, cash is accepted. But don't give me any because I preached about it, okay? Do some good. Do good for someone. That's how it starts. It starts small. But listen, one last thing. And While you're standing, we're going to bow our heads. We're going to close in prayer. Don't just do it in the flesh. This passage is about letting the Spirit work through us. So I'm making it a little flippant and a little bit random. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe there should be a prayer. Hey, Lord. By your spirit, do something through me. Would you do something through my words, through this a random act of kindness, whatever it is, Lord, would you do something that really impacts someone beyond what I could actually just do on my own? Yet not I, but Christ, the spirit of Christ through me. Listen, folks, this is revolutionary, and yet it's Christianity 101. It's living in the power and the flexibility, and the love, and the care of the Spirit. You can do this. If the Holy Spirit of God is in you, you can build others up, and you can bear burdens. Bow with me as we close. Father, today, 
we're mindful of the fact that we are saved by grace. Not anything we earned or deserved in our sinful condition, you looked down on us and you loved us enough to come in the person of Jesus. And you bore in a very literal, painful way our burdens. So God, we praise you for that. We give you thanks for that. All of grace. Not anything we did to deserve that. Lord, help us to see that every day. And when we see our brothers and sisters this week who might be struggling, help us to not look down on them as though they're worse than us, for we are all sinners saved by grace. Help us to see the hurts and the pains that people are facing and to not look away and to not look down, but instead to come alongside with a spirit of gentleness and humility. Make this a church, Lord, that, that doesn't just do things, but make this a church, make us a people that does spiritual things, that is enlivened and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God living in us. So this week, God, would you show us places that we can intersect the lives of people and, God, work through us, work through our gifts, our giving, our words, our compassion, our encouragement, and yes, even where a rebuke is needed. Work through that, Lord. And let us see your glory and your power through your people enlivened by the Spirit. And we pray all of these things in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You're dismissed.